Welcome to the Sober Nation FM podcast, where we're putting recovery on the map. I'm your host, Jonathan Sylvester. This show is brought to you by Sobriety Engine. Do you want to take your recovery to the next level? Do you want more support, community, and fellowship? Sobriety Engine is an incredible free online community of men and women supporting each other in their recovery. You can get a ton of great tips, resources, and guidance to help you succeed in recovery and in life. Visit sobrietyengine.com to join today. Sober Nation FM is also brought to you by Recover Health. If you're ready to get fit and start living a healthier lifestyle all while supporting your sobriety, then you can learn more about having me as your own personal fitness and nutrition coach at rcvrhealth.com. And whether you're listening to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or watching on YouTube, please share this with your friends, follow, subscribe, and leave a review. Nation, let's hop right into today's episode. Today, I'll be speaking with celebrity agent, best-selling author, and public speaker, Darren Prince. Thanks for joining me, Darren. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. So I want to hear all about, you know, how you get to work with so many big celebrities, uh, your best-selling book, Aiming High. But first off, I want to hear a little bit about what it was like before you got sober. So what was actually going on? Um, what was going on, because there's always a backline to every good addict and alcoholic story, was I, I always had a lot of anxiety as a kid. I never felt comfortable in my own skin. I, you know, ha- I had friends, you know, boys and girlfriends. And, um, you know, from the outside, it seemed like everything was all good. But I always suffered from this imposter syndrome. And, uh, you know, always a nervous stomach, upset stomach. Uh, I would be the type get homesick if I was away too long. And... Um, in school, I always felt less than I was classified as having a severe learning disability and put in special ed classrooms. And even at those, I failed most of them. I did terrible. Um, and then when I eventually wound up uh, experimenting my first time with drugs, I found a solution for all of it to finally fit in. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds a lot like me, man. And I know also that a big part of your story is. Uh, is baseball cards and getting into card collecting and man i that was like my thing for for years so i love when that comes up man yeah so every you, i like i cannot even tell you how many interviews i've done with some of the biggest hosts and the baseball card comes up almost more than the sports agents sports and entertainment agency and more than um the recovery because yeah, like man, most no, men understand I, what it's like absolutely yeah no i i had a lot of love for that man that was that was definitely like my first big hobby you know, you said you you just didn't really feel comfortable with yourself. And and I'm kind of thinking back. I've never really thought about, like, the collecting and, and a hobby like that. But, you know, that's a hobby you you do. I, I guess you would maybe meet up with buddies or something like that. But you kind of do by yourself. Do you feel like you, you isolated a bit, like, into that? Did that give you an excuse to kind of, like, escape and do your own thing, do you think, the card collecting? A hundred percent. That's what cards were to me because okay. – I, suppose I wrote about this in my book, Aiming High. I mean, there was times, I remember this girl, Tara, who might have been 14, 15 years old, was the first girl that actually showed that she liked me. And yeah. she was calling with some friends at like a house party. Everybody was drinking wine coolers and stuff. And I already did my first baseball card show a few, mo- few months earlier. So I immersed myself into that. I finally found purpose. I was, as my father used to say, a mathematical and statistical genius. And that was the one thing that made me feel really good about myself. And I'd be making a couple thousand dollars on a Sunday afternoon at a baseball card convention, buying, selling, trading. And uh, my friends would always want me to come by and party with them. And I had no interest. It just wasn't for me. And 
she left a voicemail to this day. I will never forget. She goes, Darren, it's Tara. Come here and hang out. You're such a cutie. Stop playing with your stupid baseball cards. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, and I honestly, I didn't even, whatever. I, I didn't care because I wound up immersed into my world. And like my, the cards were like my friends. I got attached to them. It was like a deep emotional attachment. There was a sense of, a sense of purpose because I learned how to monetize it into a business. And then I slowly started developing confidence because when I was at these shows, <coughs> unlike in school, a lot of the other collectors and the dealers started looking at me as this young hotshot authority in the industry. Wow. So why would I want to be with anybody else? You know? Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. Well, and I, again, like I haven't thought about the, you know, the card collecting stuff that much in just relation to, I guess my addiction, but I can definitely see how there was some like addictive, uh, tendencies going on. You know, I mean, I can just remember like ripping open, you know, some of those card packs and like getting yep. that rush, you know, just hoping yep. I get that rare autograph card. Exactly. Or uh, so, yeah. So and my I, generation was different. We had the best gum back then in the yeah. 80s. So you, you would go. buy it for the gum and then you would hope to get, yeah, whether like it's Don Madden, Roger Clemens, Daryl Strawberry. We didn't have those autograph for those relic cards, but, you know, we had cards that were extremely valuable. Yeah. That's awesome. So wh when did the the using and, and drinking and all of that, when did that actually start? Like how old were you? <clears throat> at 14 years old. I was okay, in was sleep 14? At, I, I was in sleepaway camp and had terrible stomach pains one night. And I asked the counselor to take me to see the nurse. And she gave me a green liquid that was in a cough syrup cup, a uh, little shot cup. And uh, it tasted horrible. But within two, three minutes, my life changed forever when I was walking across the softball field. and um, I just felt like I finally found myself. I felt like so excited that like, oh, like this buzz just came over me. And I got back to the bunk. I was the cool guy, the talkative one. I was able to flirt with the girls in the bunk next door for the first time. And uh, again, I really didn't think anything of it. I just loved the feeling and I needed more of it. And the next day I did all my activities and I'm lying in bed that night with no stomach pains. And I learned to lie and cheat and do whatever I had to do in that very moment. I look at the counter and I fall over and I said, Oh man, we got to go back to the infirmary. My, my, my stomach, man, it's killing me. I did this for a few weeks until my mom and dad came up on visitation day. Mom found out they were giving me a low dose of liquid Demerol. Oh, wow. Wow. For a stomach ache. Okay. Yep. yep. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yep. So you kind of ran with that first, that first cup, did it? That first little, so that first, could that 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 first cup, I chased that feeling for twenty four years of my life. Wow, till so, I was thirty eight. Yeah, so so you build this business where you're you're making good money trading cards. How does this turn into representing people? Well, so I, I think as I read it, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you had gotten into the uh, collecting scene a little bit. Like you said, you were a hot shot. And then I think you kind of linked up with some celebs to do like uh, autograph memorabilia signings. So, yeah, yep. memorabilia signings. Okay. Yep. And, and so, how did all this evolve over the years? I mean, what what was going on, and how did it relate to your addiction? Like, where was your how was so, your addiction progressing in all this? So, so basically, um, <clears throat> after I had an experience with the dentist six months after sleepaway camp at Vicodins, and I abused the Vicodins and lied to my mom that the the wisdom tooth pain was still there. Um, for the next five or six years, man, I was, I really was, I was like Teflon and untouchable. I, you know, I, I, and I faded to the hill. I mean, 
talk shows, da- you know, Daily News, New York Post, USA Today. I walk into a convention like I am my clients are today when I'm out with them. It, it was such a massive boom. We had Wayne Gretzky that bought the most expensive Honus Wagner car known to existence. There were celebrities. There were big corporate CEOs. That the boom was just like nothing I've ever seen in the 80s. Uh, which is why the hobby is so hot now. Yeah. And I was like a young OG and all I wanted to do was just party. And, um, you know, I was making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year as a teenager. And eventually it all, like I guess, as you say, all the shit hit the fan. When I was 21, I was arrested four times in a matter of six months, different possession charge, obviously not for distribution for myself and for my friends use. And, I was put in a program called the Alliance for a year by the judge, had my license taken away, told me if I was arrested one more time, I'd be looking at a minimum of six months in prison because clearly I've got an issue that I don't notice. And uh, I came out and uh, a few days early, I supposedly graduated the program as we're not supposed to say ever in recovery because there's no graduation. And that night I went out with my friend Dave and got banged up. We did these mind erasure shots and took a handful of Xanax and our minds were erased because Next thing I know, he fell asleep behind the wheels, car went into a ditch, my face went into the windshield, 90 stitches, broken nose, cut lip, concussion, and I wake up in the hospital in the, in the ICU, and the first two people I see are my mom and my dad, with tears running down their face. Here, I just completed this program, and it didn't even take me two days until I'm even worse than I was almost a year earlier, because that's what addiction does, destroys yeah. families. And, uh, and I had everything going for me. Mm. so you know i was the high bottom because i had the money i had the life at that point the woman um i had everything i ever freaking needed but i didn't have myself and uh so i was dabbling in the sports and entertainment memorabilia business at that time because i loved the sexiness of it i loved the coolness that you could be with these you know huge superstars and get to chill with them in a private hotel room and they signed a bunch of autographs. We had a whole distribution outlet set up with different dealers. And back then, there was no internet. So there was a magazine called Sports Collectors Digest and tough stuff. And I'd spend thousands of dollars a week advertising merchandise to collectors. And through that business, I developed a lot of relationships that eventually would start Prince Marketing Group uh, once I sold that old company, which was now Prince Marketing Group. And Magic Johnson became my first client. And, um, you know, I learned to negotiate the same way with... Uh, memorabilia deals out in the real world with much more substantial deals. My dad was a tremendously impactful individual in my life. He, he taught me, you know, just real business, as they say, from the Marty Prince University. I never really needed college because that didn't go too good for me. I went one year to University of Bridgeport and I dropped out with a 0.89 GPA um, and partied my ass up, wow. the women, everything else that came along with it at the time of my life. Yeah. But I didn't even know how many times I went to class. And then so... When, but, you know, again, like I laugh about these things and I realize that so much of that is about brokenness. So much of that is about finding a sense of self. You know, I see I got guy friends right now that could still be that way with women. I'm like, that's not what life's about, man. You got to you gotta love yourself from the inside. You know, people that are out there drinking during this pandemic going crazy, yeah. isolating and just that negative space. And, yeah. you know, I can laugh about it now because I'm in such a beautiful space in my life. But but that Darren Prince is really insecure, man. He was really, really broken. He really felt like a total piece of shit and yeah. wanted the whole world to think otherwise. He, he had that imposter syndrome, you know? 
Yeah, I, I, no, I, I get that 100%. And I'm sure a lot of our, our listeners can relate to that as well. And you're, you're touching on a little bit, just like this internal conversation that, that goes on. So again, like here you are, like everything on the outside, well, up until a certain point when you're getting arrested and, and getting the car wrecks and stuff looks pretty good. I, I mean, even before that, even before the arrests and stuff like that, was there some kind of internal conversation or conflict going on? Like, Hey, this is starting to become a problem. You know, it took me into my early thirties. I just, for some reason, um, never registered and I got in more legal trouble. I talk about it in my book in the memorabilia business. I was investigated by the FBI and uh, not charged with mail fraud, but I made a stupid business mistake trusting somebody. And even after that, I just, uh, once I started Prince Marketing Group, I just said to myself, okay, no more of the illegal drugs. And uh, let's, you know, you're signing morality clauses. You got to be smart here with your clients. And because I had sciatic and anxiety, I gravitated more towards the opiates. And doctors would write me prescriptions all day long for oxys, Percocets, and Vicodins. And those were my closest friends in the world for the next, uh, you know, whatever it was, 10, 12, 13 years until they turned on me. And I always say I was once living to use, turned out to using to live. And I cannot tell you that day. I had an overdose in Las Vegas uh, during NBA All-Star Weekend in 2007. I was out there with Dennis Rodman. Clear the record right now. He's never done a drug in his life. Dennis's drug of choice is alcohol, but I wasn't with him that morning. I woke up and we were there to celebrate a big television show deal. I negotiated with Steve Simon in my office um, with Mark Cuban for his uh, – TV network and um, HD and I was supposed to be super exciting. I had a horrible case of bronchitis and uh, called the doctor to the room to get what I really loved more than anything, heaven in a bottle, Tussanex cough syrup. And uh, it was pineapple juice that was just getting lit freaking up, you know, very heavily opiate-based uh, cough syrup. And it, it was just unbelievable. So here I am actually happy that I was running a fever coughing up my lung and had bronchitis because then it was a perfect excuse. So as I'm coming back from the pharmacy, I had 100 Vicodins that he called in, a huge bottle of Tussinex and some antibiotic. I called my then wife. I said, call me, call me room service owner. I'm going to rebock a Red Bull and Cranberries because I'm going to get ready to go out to this event. And um, came back. I chugged half the bottle. I chopped up three Vicodins. I snorted them in the bathroom. And, um, you know, just a couple drinks went down, and I'm on the ground, shaking, trembling, and crying, having no idea what's going on. In and out of consciousness, foaming at the mouth. My heart's palpitating. I'm freezing. I'm burning hot. Praying to God, looking up at the sky, saying, "Don't take me." I don't know what the hell I just did. I'll never do this again. And um, paramedics came, oxygen mask on my face, EKG machine, uh, needles in my arms. As I'm looking up at the sky, just shaking. And uh, you know, I made it clearly and uh never made it out that night i woke up at three o'clock in the morning to look at myself in the mirror and bags under my eyes bloodshot i looked like complete death and i was like you sick bastard like like who does this you've got all this going on who does this and uh the only thing i needed to do is to get high and i finished the rest of the talk the tough soon i snorted a few more vicodins went back to bed because in that moment it was the vodka red bull and cranberry that caused the combination. We talk about in the fellowship, the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. That was it right there. But if there was a moment, that was the moment. You know, that wasn't the moment of change. We can get there next because that's when the miracle happens. 
Yeah, so I, I definitely want to get into that. I think we've uh, we've talked about you know the problem plenty and and what was going on. So uh, you overdose, thankfully you you pull through. Where do things develop from there? Like, how does the recovery actually start? So, July first, two thousand and eight, my uncle and his then girlfriend are both in the fellowship. We're visiting my mom in New Jersey, and he's from Miami. He's been in out of the rooms for a long time, uh, putting 15 years together, going back out, 10 years going back out, but still had somewhat of a, a, a decent foundation. I think at this point he was back in the rooms for five or six years and they paid me a surprise visit. I was at my wit's end. You know, I didn't want to wake up anymore. You know, I just did not want to live. And um, I had all the money, all the stuff, a beautiful wife and um, great house and the cars and revered in my industry. Um, but I was living a double life. Nobody giving it all away to get that sense of inner peace that I probably didn't have since I was a little kid. And um, that was one of those God moments because they paid me a surprise visit and she looked at me and she's like, uh, are you okay? I said, no, I told her everything. I never met her before, but there was some magical connection between her and I that I felt the need right then to tell her what was going on. And she's like, do you know I'm in recovery? I was like, no, I don't. She goes, that's how me and your uncle met coming up on five years sober. She goes, do you realize you're an addict that your life's been managed by? I said, yes. She goes, do you realize that you're powerless over substances? I said, yeah, yeah, for sure. And she goes, most importantly, do you realize that addiction does not discriminate? It doesn't matter if you're from Yale or jail or Park Avenue Park Bench because of all the stuff you accomplished out there is bullshit, you know? And uh, I was like, I get it. She goes, most importantly, do you want help? I said, I'm desperate, please. And um, she's like, I can help you. At that point, I was on Suboxone, an antidepressant, a mood stabilizer, anxiety pills, sniffing Ambien before I went to bed tonight and probably drinking a couple of days a week to point a blackout when I was out with uh, my friends or clients. And um, she put me on a detox plan on that 48th hour, man. I wouldn't suggest this for anybody, but God really came into my life because I should have been in a treatment center, but my ego wouldn't let me. I was too big. I was too busy. And uh, it was July 2nd, 2008, about seven o'clock in the evening. I was living in New York with my then wife. I came back from the gym. I'm shaking. I'm miserable. Diarrhea all day and vomiting. And I said, I can't do this anymore. I said, I'm calling them up. I got to get what I really want to get. And as they're yelling at me on the other line, you got to go to a 12-step meeting. You need to put your hands up already and surrender and tell these people you're sick, you're suffering, and you need help. And I said, there's no freaking way I've been to those meetings. I, I can't identify with those people. And I hung up the phone and I ran into the bathroom of my apartment. And I went to take two non-narcotic anxiety pills to help with the cravings. And out came two Vicodins, which was bizarre because we knew we cleared out every medicine cabinet wow. in the house wow. of all the opiates. Yeah. We said 100% we triple checked it. How in the world were there two Vicodins in this one bottle? And um, it felt like a gift from God. It was like a sense of relief, like exactly what I needed. And uh, But then that moment happened because I hit my knees for the first time in my life. And um, the tears came out, flowing down my face. And I remember calling out almost the same way Bill W. had it in the hospital that night in 1930, 34, you know, as he said, if there's a God out there, show yourself. I, um, I said, God, I can't do this anymore. Screaming. I said, I'll, 
I'll do anything. Help take the chains off me, please. I'm so sick and tired of this life. And um, then it happened because there's a burning sensation as I'm on my knees, on my right shoulder. And this voice just was in my head telling me, I've got you in your way. And I stood up and I flushed the pills. Wow. And I went up in the living room. Three minutes later, there was no Uber. I go right to AA New York City near me. I found one in the upper 80s and I jump in the taxi and I'm looking up at the sky saying, holy shit, what the heck just happened for the first time in my life? I wanted to stay sober more than I wanted to get high. Wow. And I walked into a church basement with about 150 to 200 addicts and alcoholics all once of a hopeless state of mind. And I threw my hand right up. There was no ego. This wasn't Darren Prince, the so-called big shot super agent that couldn't stay sober for more. You know, been an hour or two in his life. This this was life, and uh, about being accountable. And man, it was just amazing because ten to twelve spiritual brothers and sisters came right over to me in the beginning of that meeting. They put their arms around me. They gave me their number. We know what you're feeling. We've been where you've been. Stick with the winners. Take the cotton out of yours. Put it in your mouth. Uh, this is the first day for a brand new life, and. Uh, they showed me how to love Darren Prince one day at a time before I ever, you know, knew how to love myself. And that, that was incredible because I couldn't understand that until I started putting time together. And then um, my life really changed when I started doing the reverse commute to New Jersey, which was right away and immersed myself in the New Jersey program and uh, in, uh, in Essex Fells in West Orange. And I met my sponsor. Um, I heard him share one time and I heard the importance of sponsorship and maybe I had 30 days and I um, went right over and after him, you know, and uh, we speak four or five times a day back then because I needed and he would thank me every time after every call hmm. and tell me you're helping me more than I'll ever help you. Couldn't understand it. It was like, makes no sense. I'm driving this guy freaking crazy. Yeah. Yeah. But now we understand it. And, um, you know, it just, one day at a time became a week, became a month, became a year. And uh, eventually, at some point, probably, I'd say probably four years in, five years in, I started getting very vocal about it on, um, on social media because, you know, I have a following and obviously my name in the sports and entertainment industry. And, you know, I've been to Dr. Bob's and took a tour there and they told me that Bill actually struggled in the early 70s before he passed with the anonymous part. He thought that the anonymous part's going to have to go out the window at some point for people of the masses to know that there is a solution. And uh, if Darren Prince, God forbid, relapsed tomorrow, in the 12 years almost I've been sober, and 70 speaking engagements, tens of thousands of people, people in the rooms, phone calls, random messages, you're going to tell me there's not one person that's still sober mm. in this 12 years. You better believe there's at least one. So this yeah. shit works. This fellowship works, okay? I don't think it's for everybody. I think there's some people that can get sober and be dry, that's on them, or they can find meditation, and that's great. Whatever it is, as long as your life is not unmanageable, as long as you're a productive member of society, again, you're not lying, you're not cheating, you're not stealing, you're living a better quality life, whatever it is, I'm all for it. Yeah, yeah, no, same here, man. And and I'm uh, a product of, of the 12 steps and... Um, you know, had a very similar experience to what you just described. And, and I remember, I've talked about this a few times on the show that, uh, 
Yeah, I think you're a really great example of this, Darren, you know, that just what unmanageability really means, because so many times we think, well, and we hear it, you know, it's um, maybe even someone that that was doing really well, making tons of money, you know, had had the beautiful wife, huge house, all this stuff. And that, you know, a lot of the times we hear they lose it. all, Right. And clearly that looks unmanageable. Um, but I think your experience and what was pointed out to me is, is the unmanageability, you know, it's not just about losing all the money and all the material stuff and all that. It's really about, you know, what's going on when I look in the mirror, like, how do I feel, you know, how do I feel about Jonathan? It's not what's in my bank account, um, or maybe the, the relationships that I'm destroying or, or any of that. Um, because some people can, you know, hold that stuff together to a degree, um, you know, and, and I think that's important to, to mention. So let me ask you, I mean, it sounds like you did kind of what I did, like you just jumped right into this deal and sounds like you probably got involved and, and took the suggestion, so to speak. But uh, what were some of your, your bigger struggles early on in sobriety? What would you, would you say? Early on, um, you know, I was having some marital issues because, you know, I started finally finding out who the real me was which was tough so obviously relationship issues yeah um um i was gambling a lot man Mm -hmm. a lot i don't mind talking about it my sponsor said you're switching seats in titanic so we better talk man if this keeps going um business was still amazing i was blowing a lot of freaking money going to atlantic city or vegas it was two hours from my house to escape so even though i wasn't putting a drink or a drug in my system i don't need to be batshit crazy doing that i I'm very well capable to this day of being out of my effing mind if I let myself without putting a single substance in my in my body. Mm. Okay, and people need to understand. I don't care how much time you have. You know that's why truly it's one day at a time. So I nipped that in the bud. Then uh, I think uh, eventually my perspective and perception started changing on so much in life. Um, I started really working through the steps. I started realizing where a lot of the behavioral pattern came, like I said, whether I got something in my system or not. And um, I became the most psychotic, relentless, obsessive meeting maker in the world that this fellowship has ever seen. I don't say it in an arrogant way. I say it not to impress people, but to impress upon. I've been to meetings in the past 12 years and in realists, Sydney, Australia, Tokyo, Japan, London, England, uh, Tahiti, I found them in Puerto Rico, Maui, Honolulu, beach meetings. I mean, because I needed that. I needed that connection with all the traveling I do. And it is the greatest freaking high in the world. And I, you know, I remember my sponsor saying, you were putting all that effort to go to a strip club to party your ass off. Because you got to put the same goddamn effort into your freaking recovery. And when I got that, it's, it's the greatest thing in the freaking world to go on the road and go to meetings, especially in other countries. Magic Johnson and Cookie's wife had a 60th birthday celebration. I was honored to be invited to in Saint-Tropez last August. And man, I mean, I found a meeting in Nice. I found one uh, right outside of Saint-Tropez. Uh, I found one in Monaco. Freaking amazing to walk into a freaking room and, you know, 25 people there. Some are American, some aren't. And you freaking feel like you're right at home, even though you're not home. And so I got that right down right away. But you know, I've struggled with women. I still have over you know coming up on 12 years sober i uh you know my, my i've got my buddy john alvino who's a renowned nlp 
technician, what kind of Tony Robbins does. And uh, we've had some amazing breakthroughs over the past year because I think that was, you know, my, my last relationship with my ex-fiance, who I'll always love, you know, I, we had a tremendous relationship and I checked out and was completely on me. She did nothing wrong. And um, I said, I don't want to be that person anymore. You know, the next woman I find, I want to be the best version that I can be for Darren Prince. And I work on that every day with somebody that's in my life where I got to sometimes take myself out of myself and understand the root of the problem and why certain uh, character flaws came into play. And a lot of former back as a teenager, you know, we had some tremendous breakthroughs on four deep, deep NLP sessions that I was hurt tremendously, 16, 17, 19, and 20 by four different girls. And uh, the first time I went all in with women and never addressed it. So for all you players out there that are listening, that's where that shit comes from. Because I ran with the best of them, and I thought I was cool, and that's not what it is. You're escaping. That's what you're freaking doing. Anybody that's in recovery right now, living that life, I'm telling you, I thought I was the coolest guy in the world. Every guy wanted to be with me. Every guy wanted to freaking hang out with all the women and the excitement in the life. Nah, that's because we don't feel fulfilled. That's because we haven't found the right one that brings us up, mm. you know? And uh, not saying my last one wasn't the right one. It was the wrong time because I wasn't the right damn prince. Sure. And uh, I'm accountable for stuff like that now. You know, yeah. recovery is not just about putting drink or drug in your system. It's a thinking issue. It's a thinking disease that we have. So you're always evolving. You're always improving. You're always getting better, you know? Well, yeah, no. And I love that, man. I think that's so important. You know, uh, again, one of the things it was pointed out, I mean, and this was more specifically in a recovery sense, like, and it was said in a, a lot of different ways, you know, if you're not growing, you're dying, or, you know, if you're not working on your recovery, you're working on your relapse. But I've, I've come to see that just in life as well, that, you know, for me, I have to continue to grow, you know, and it's about, and I'm not always great about it, but it's supposed to be yeah. about continual improvement. Uh, you're mentioning some, some things like NLP, neuro uh, linguistic programming and, and some other stuff. Do you think that people should, you know, maybe uh, after they kind of get a, a foundation in recovery, whatever they're doing, whether it's a, a 12 step program or just meditation or whatever it is, you know, they've been sober for a little while. Do you think that they should start to look into some of these other things maybe to, to improve their lives or what, what do you think? A, a, a million percent. I mean, okay. I couldn't just do it with the 12 step program. You know, okay. I, I'm very blessed in my industry, obviously, and I know some of the biggest world changers, Tony Robbins, Jay Shetty, who's the best in the world right now. Jay, and I love him. He's freaking a game changer. You go on Instagram every day, instead of looking at your friend's photos, follow Jay Shetty. Yeah. Joel Olstein's a dear friend, Gary Bannerchuk, Lewis Howes. Um, you know, they, uh, man, oh, just to be around them. And they love my way of life, which is even cooler in a way. Like they just love the 12 step work. And I, uh, I'm on a magazine cover that was just announced yesterday. It's coming out in a few weeks. I don't know if you follow me on social, but um, yeah, they posted it everywhere. Yes, I think it's called uh, the Ink Industry Tattoo Magazine. And um, I mean, Jay Shetty freaking saw it and did his own, you know, post on it. And you know, Roy Jones Jr. sends me a text. Congrats, man! He goes, I just posted your cover to 500,000 people. It's not an ego thing, no. Now that's the difference. The difference is I know that people are going to read about my journey my aiming high foundation and how important it is for me to raise awareness and funds to give people treatment. My affiliation with Banning Treatment Center, where I have my own toll-free call number to get people scholarship if they oh, need wow. You know, uh, my awesome. book, Aiming High, which I wrote a tell-all about the hell of addiction through the beauty of spiritual recovery while representing some of the most iconic figures of our time. Again, none of it is ego-driven. 
this is all pure. This is the real Darren Prince that wants to push this message out there to the masses. Always being respectful of AA. I yeah. never mention AA. I always talk about a 12-step fellowship. And uh, there's so much more out there to gravitate to than uh, the 12-step fellowship. I mean, it gave me a life. Mm. To keep getting to those next levels, those other guys, man, they're game changers. I mean, the first day I did my book tour for Aiming High, my publicist had me on Good Day New York. And Joel Olstein was always one of my favorites, not from, from a re- religious standpoint, because I was raised Jewish, but the spiritual messages are just, they're yeah, very well stepped. I mean, you can't. Yeah, you can't and he's that. one of the greatest speakers ever. And yeah. uh, God managed coincidences. I call them GMCs. The same morning I'm on Good Day New York. Joel Olstein was there five minutes before. Hmm. And he was one of my favorites long before my book came out. And we got to spend time with each other. And yeah, I exchanged info with his team and his handlers. And I've been, I've sat in the front row with him in Victoria Lakewood Church. I've been in his office before a service. I took Hulk Hogan there to reconnect them. I mean, it's what a freaking blessing. And to him, for him to look at me, but Victoria. And, you know, take photos with my book and I started reading it and says, no, thank you for your testimony, Darren, and we were given to the world. Oof. That's, that's deep. awesome. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Well, and so you're, you know, you're talking about obviously being around these, these different celebrities and, um, you know, and the book aiming high. And, and one of the things that I wanted to ask you about is I think the first time that I, you know, saw you on TV, uh, you were with Dennis Rodman. And, and I think that uh, th- this was a clip where I think he was – and not try, trying to get into anyone else's sobriety or anything like that. Oh, that's okay. I, yeah, but I think he was, he was you know, trying to get his stuff together, kind of just uh, – was, was, uh, was it Tucker Carlson, uh, Fox and Friends? I think so. It was, it was just a clip yeah. that I saw online, okay. actually. And um, anyway, so ha- have there been other opportunities where – you know, people are kind of seeing like what you're talking about and, and just you talking about this addiction stuff and, and seeing you with Dennis talking about his struggles and trying to get him on track. I mean, have you had other people reach out to you um, that, that are kind of saying like maybe hinting at the fact that they're struggling a little bit as well? And again, not to bust anyone's anonymity, but I, I would just imagine that that people are seeing this, you know, people that might not know where to reach out and they're like, Hey, so how do you find one of those meetings, or how do I yep. find treatment? Or, yeah, no, I'm saying that's one of the privileges too. Obviously, without mentioning some names, I mean, sure. some very, very powerful corporate executives, very wealthy. Um, you know, uh, definitely some celebrities, other ones that have struggled because I'm so open about it. I'm so comfortable talking about the uncomfortable now. Yeah. But to me, it doesn't matter if they're a celebrity and everyday earth people, you know, it's uh, I'll help anybody. I'll, I'll put the same amount of time into, uh, if it's an A-list freaking actor or actress or sports superstar, I was with you every day, freaking man or woman, you know, because we're all looking for the same common goal. Nobody's mm-hmm. better than anybody else at that point. As is recovery. If you got 10 years and I got 12 years, we got the moment of right now, man. Nobody's, I, I, I've, I've listened to people with 40 years in the same meeting that I've run from what they have. And I've got somebody there sharing with me and they gave me what I need, mm. you know? Yeah. Um, 
for sure. There's just no way that, that, you know, there's no rhyme or reason, but um, that's also why I just make sure I've used all my resources to get on the biggest and the best talk shows, the best podcast. I know how revered you guys are in this world. I've Jordan Herberger, you know, I've done his, I'll, you know, probably us cook, you know, Jay's guy, they're going to schedule something with me and whatever I got to do to just keep showing others uh, that are out there struggling that, that can't come forward yet. Look at this guy, Darren Prince and say, man, he's, been through quite a lot and he's accomplished so much and uh it's also why i love speaking you know last yeah. year i did 57 speaking engagements and uh whether it's for high school kids colleges or businesses when those lights come on and somebody's eyes in that room when i'm done speaking whatever it might be to 500 200 3000 people i never know what the size is and during that q a something magical happens and they come over to me after and i see it in their eyes it's a feeling he can't explain that's all awesome. that that's what I'm addicted to now. That's that's awesome. my addiction. You know, yeah. Brandon Novak and I doing our Instagram live now every Wednesday uh, where we got 4,700 people two two weeks ago because we go, no, let's open it to the masses and not make it about AA. Let's talk about the 12 steps. Let's talk about depression, anxiety, mood disorders, sadness, mm-hmm. ups, downs, especially during the pandemic. Throw in substance abuse, obviously, because at the end of the day, the whole world can use the 12 steps. Just take out all out of the first one and the other 11 have no reference whatsoever to anything related to drugs and alcohol yeah very true yeah no i mean and there's tons of books and it's talked about you know i would say more prevalently just the idea that the 12-step process is really something that can benefit uh benefit anyone and and you can kind of apply it to to anything whether you have a substance abuse issue or, or an addiction issue or not it's really a uh, a system to improve your you, life. you can you can it, it, it can it can heal <coughs> excuse me anybody of living their best life i mean man just because you get sober doesn't mean life doesn't happen i've been through my own hell and back divorce broken engagement muhammad ali and joe frazier lost them both in in sobriety uh i was high as a kite as i talk about in my book when i had the iconic uh, dinner with both of them when they well, broke bread and yeah. No. I, well, so I want to ask you about that because I, I think you mentioned that in the book as well. I know I've seen you speak a lot about that. And for those who don't know, it's basically Joe Frazier and Muhammad Ali. I mean, they were arch rivals to to say the least. It's putting it really lightly. And and I think you kind of played a role in, in a reconciliation of sorts. So, I, I mean, what was what was going on in that moment? These guys come together and, and then what happens? You know, they, they really didn't get in the same room alone for almost 30 years since Thrilla Manila. They're the two biggest kings of the sport of the world, culturally, politically. They, they represented so much and still to this day, it's the greatest rivalry in the history of sports. And my dear friend, Harlan Werner, was Muhammad's agent. He allowed me the opportunity to work with Muhammad and represent him as well. And he told me in the mid-90s, I got to go after Joe because there's going to be some day that we have the opportunity to bring them together, whether it's to raise awareness, money for charity, uh, you know, financial gain and working on Joe for, you know, a good six, seven years, just didn't want to do it. And Muhammad eventually started extending the olive branch and mm. I got closer and it wound up happening during NBA All-Star Weekend in Philadelphia, which was Joe's hometown. And literally within four hours of Muhammad's wife calling me, Harlan was in Vegas, he couldn't make it. Um, Joe said, okay, because let's go to Muhammad's suite. And we went to downtown Philadelphia and broke bread and what Joe didn't know was 20 minutes before we got into the elevator, I'm up in the room snorting Percocets because I just could not believe this moment that Nelson Mandela, President Clinton, 
A-listers, the most influential stars in the world and athletes would have been like, holy crap, I got to see this go down. Yeah. And um, the next day, the same thing. We wound up sitting center court at the NBA All-Star game. I've got, you know, uh, Justin Timberlake State and Britney Spears. They're to the right side of the center court. And Diddy's coming over and Jay-Z and Alicia Keys and Kobe and Michael Jordan and Magic's four seats to my left. And again, imposter syndrome. How the hell am I sitting here? And everybody's coming over to me and my boy, Nick, Nikki C, who was with me as well. And uh, he didn't know. I was highly functioning. He's still, to this day, my boy, Nick, you know, just said, man, he goes, there was only one time at the end it seemed like you were real bad. Wow. And uh, I, I really put on an amazing front. You know, Joe never knew. But the beautiful thing about that Ollie Frazier experience is when they both passed, I got to show up to both their funerals, sober, present, proud, and in the moment. And I know they both would have loved that. Because those were two kings of the world that, again, loved me before I ever knew how to love myself, um, even when I was out there. And to have a privilege and the honor of having a relationship with those men and their families uh, meant the world to me. And I know that, like, every day when I get on my knees and I miss my dad so much because that was another tremendous loss in, in recovery. So was, I followed up with, and, and please let Smoke and Joe, you know. Uh, and Muhammad, how much I miss him. Joe, I was closer with because he was closer uh, geographically, but Muhammad was a, oof, and then we'll never make another like either one of those guys. You know, awesome. I think I think through all that, that's what gave me the idea to write Aiming High and hook up with my publisher, Anna David, who's the best. And she connected me with Kristen McGinnis, my writer. And we were just writing a book more for therapy. And they immediately thought, you know, after the, the initial intro was written, that it was going to be a bestseller. And, uh, I didn't care about any of that. I just wanted to get my message out there and do something for healing. And within a week to find out that it became an international bestseller in four countries and it still hasn't slowed down. I'm like, this is That's awesome. You know, this, this, this was my purpose. Darren Prince, the agent, meant absolutely nothing. That was to get me to this point. God had a plan for me to, you know, get right in the middle of things of the agency business, get as high to the top as I can, get me sober. And then use that platform to get this out to the masses. Yeah. Tell people that hope and recovery exists. Well, so, and I do want to ask, man, I mean, I, I, I feel like it's important because really I just like to hear, you know, people's take on this. And, and some people, you know, have different thoughts on it. But especially when someone like you who's around a bunch of celebrities and, you know, you're, you're putting yourself out there. You're, you're doing a great job of carrying the message. Do you think that that the the stigma and conversation around addiction is is starting to change at all? For sure, absolutely. I mean, because everybody's affected by it. You know, I'm being privileged to be invited to the White House three times in 2018, 2019, especially for Trump's uh, opiate historic opiate epidemic signed bill for six billion dollars, which I think was the end of October of eighteen. I had a relationship with them years ago from Celebrity Apprentice. Um, you could just say it. There's not a person on earth right now that's not affected by this. Everybody knows somebody somewhere. And the opiate epidemic, like I said, is worse than ever. Almost everybody knows somebody suffering from that, too. So you got to pay attention. Now you better pay attention now because I don't care who it is. Nobody's off the table. And it's a conversation that needs to be continued and carried on. And with this pandemic, a lot of weekend warriors are now full-blown addicts and alcoholics. I can guarantee you that we're hitting numbers at record highs that have never been seen before. Fear, anxiety, underlining, you know, issues that were never addressed, all that stuff's coming to a surface during a time like this. 
Yeah, no, I, I believe it. And I've, unfortunately I've been hearing a lot of that too. And, um, man, I, I hope that this shift that, that I believe, and I think you just said you agree with is starting to happen. I, I hope that it just, yep. uh, I hope that it continues. So before we wrap up, Darren, I'd like to ask if there's one piece of advice, uh, that you feel like you'd like to share with the sober nation. Yeah, I just, um, I just try to tell people, you know, even though we're sober, that it doesn't mean the life is smooth sailing. And if you, if you are ever in that moment where you're not on that spiritual beam, just take yourself back to that last day. Cause that's what I do a lot. And it reminds me it ain't worth it because the worst day I've had, um, in recovery, when you get to that place where you could say it's better than the best day I ever had high and drunk, most amazing feeling in the world when you can get that inner peace i said it to brandon novak last week we spoke for an hour alone on on the phone after we did our last uh, ig live and i go bro like when you find this feeling of inner peace i could lose everything tomorrow i can wind up in a little shoebox apartment and know that i found me and be so good with it and say at least i lived the life i had the opportunity with bro because i'm right there with you it's just, we all got to fight to get to that place. But even when you get there, you got to fight to stay there. Because like I said, right now, I'm all good. In three, four hours, I could be out there. But I know what to do now to reel myself back in. I got all the tools I need. And, and, and that's amazing. And I think a lot of times, we're not responsible for our own thoughts, but we are responsible for how long we think those thoughts. And we have the tools to get out of our own way, work with other people, not just in and out of recovery, people that are suffering, you know. Be a better person by saying what you mean, meaning what you say, and not say it mean. Just little things you can do to just get to that higher spiritual self. So that's with awesome. that, we can end it. Yeah, that's great. That's great advice, man. Uh, so you can learn more about Darren, his speaking engagements, his book, Aiming High, by visiting officialdarrenprince.com. Thanks again for coming on the show with me today, Darren. Thanks, bro. We'll talk soon. Be sure to check out the show notes for all the info from today's episode. Sober Nation FM is brought to you by Sobriety Engine. Sobriety Engine is a free online community of men and women supporting each other in their recovery. Visit sobrietyengine.com to join today. This show is also brought to you by Recover Health. If you're ready to get fit and start living a healthier lifestyle while supporting your sobriety, you can learn more about having me as your own personal fitness and nutrition coach at RC vrhealth.com and again whether you're listening to the show on spotify apple podcasts or watching on youtube please share this with your friends follow subscribe and leave us a review nation thanks for tuning in and i'll see you next time